Um, worship was wonderful this morning, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, just as a side note, my friends Darren and Jesse this week uh, became American citizens. <clears throat> Which is good news for us. I'm really thankful. It means that uh, in no time soon will they, will they be deported back to their country. So I'm really thankful about that. Well, let's go ahead and look at the passage we're going to be going into today. It's in Ephesians 1. It's the last number of verses, 15 through, well, I think it's like 20-something, which ends the chapter. And... Um, this, what uh, Pastor Brian, James, uh, Ben Potter have covered, and myself, in the first uh, 3 through 14, really literally, again, is one, run, one long run-on sentence of about 202 words that Paul has been getting this incredible download from God about revelation, about who he is, uh, what God is doing, his plan for his people, and how we fit into that plan and his love and his power. So Paul right here is taking a pause in his dictation to uh, share with the Ephesians. So let's read this together. If you've got a Bible um, or your iPad, let's read this together. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Let's have the next slide there. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Again, Lord, uh, we need a revelation of who you are and how you would change us through the power of your presence and your word in us. Uh, we love you for this privilege in Jesus' name. Thank you. Amen. Let's go back up to that other plate there. And Paul, in his pausing, is saying to the Ephesians, and remember, he's writing this from prison. Uh, it's been about seven years, five to seven years since he's seeing the Ephesians, of whom he had a really close relationship with. And he says, for this reason, these last verses that we've spent uh, the last few weeks on, for all these reasons, I have, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And Paul had heard of their trust, their um, absolute devotion to the Lord Jesus and the love that they had had towards all the saints. And this is something that um, 
Paul, in, 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 in realizing that their trust was true, that it was in the Lord Jesus, it wasn't in some uh, deception, wasn't in some philosophy, but was in the person of the Lord Jesus, that they had devoted themselves to come under his lordship as well as his salvation. Now, you know, today um, in our society, it is one of those things to where, well, yes, I, I prayed a prayer sometime and I did uh, get saved because I asked Jesus into my heart. But for the Ephesian believers and for the believers of that time, remember the fact that their lives were always in danger and under persecution constantly, that the lordship of Jesus had to be an important aspect and a vital aspect of their lives because they were threatened constantly with persecution by words and as well as possible death and imprisonment that they had to make a choice. Uh, for us, because we're not under persecution, because very, you know, the worst we might get is some nasty looks or some, you know, nasty emails, the threat of our lives is never really present. Now, around the world, that's not true today. But in our country, thank God that we have the privilege and the freedom at this point to come together like this to worship God and to share our faith together. But for the Ephesian believers, this wasn't the case all the time. So the lordship of Jesus in our lives is just as vital today, though, as it was for the Ephesian believers. I ask you the question, of whom is your devotion? Who runs your life? Who has the authority in your life? Is it yourself? Is it someone else? Or is it the Lord Jesus? Is your trust and faith in his lordship over your life? That is an important and vital question for us. Because we all have relationships with other people. We have a society where it's easy uh, for at, at hand that we are able to trust in. And yet, remember, those things, people fail us, things fail us, but God never fails us. So when these things that we do have levels of trust in fail, it allows us to begin to see at what depth his lordship has in our life. And I think that this is an important thing that God allows in our life. And I know some of you are going through intense personal struggles uh, that are in great trials and tribulations. But that is allowing you to be able to understand his absolute care and control in your life, his lordship. And so don't despise uh, the days of trials or testing because those are great times to grow in your trust and faith in him that he has the ability. But look at also the fruit that this trust produced. It says that uh, I see your intense love towards all the saints. I want you to understand something in here. You are saints. Paul calls you, as he called the Ephesians, God calls you his saints. Now, I grew up as a Catholic, and in the Catholic faith, uh, saints are an important aspect that men and, and certain women had been raised to sainthood because of a long process, which I'm not going to describe at this point. But the word of God says to us, and God declares to you, that you are saints. The word saints means holy ones, ones that are called out. And that is who God declares you to be. Now, you may have an inflated sense of yourself, and that doesn't matter. 
But for many of us, we have a poor self-image many times. Whether we're aware of our weaknesses and our faults and our sins, or that others tell us constantly we're not of any value. But in Christ, because of his holiness, because of his presence, God calls you his called out ones. And he declares you to be saints. And that's an important aspect. It's not based on how you feel. It's not based on necessarily your way of thinking. But it is a trust in the fact that God has put his seal on you by his Holy Spirit and says, as I am holy, you also are holy. And so you are saints. And so grab that this morning. Grab a hold of this. And the fact that they had such love towards one another was a proof of the lordship of his presence in their life. John very clearly in his letters tells us that if you say you love God and yet hate your brother, then you're a liar. Now, obviously, I probably wouldn't use exactly that same language because that might be offensive, but John had no problem saying that. And I love that. It's good to examine yourself that if you're holding bitterness and anger towards one of your brethren, that you're not in the love of God and that you're in danger. So I would ask that God might give you the ability to forgive and release and let the fruit of love that proves your trust and faith in the Lord Jesus pour out of your life because that is an evidence of truth. And truth is so crucial for us. So Paul, in being thankful for this people, It might seem disingenuous because later in this book, he corrects the Ephesians in many areas of their lifestyle and warns them. But notice in this area, he says, I'm thankful for your faith and I'm thankful for the love that I see because Paul sees as God sees. Do you remember the book of Revelation when when Jesus was speaking to the seven churches that were in Asia Minor? In almost all cases, except for two, he praises the, the group of uh, the, the churches that are in different cities. And he says, look, I want to bless you and praise you for what you're doing in this area. And he says, you're doing well in this area before he corrects. And that is God's heart and way. You know, it's easy to see what's wrong, isn't it? It's easy to see what's wrong in somebody else's life, isn't it? It's easy to see sometimes what's wrong in your own life. But it's so much harder to see what's good and to bless that and to be thankful for that. And this is what Paul is doing here. He sees as God sees us and he says, wow, I see your trust in the Lord Jesus. I see your love and that's so good and I want to be thankful about that. So you see, it's so crucial that we're being able to see the overall picture and to see each other in that light, isn't it? I mean... What, what's the use in always picking out what's wrong? What's, what's the use in always focusing on what is not right? Because that really produces a real critical spirit. But being able to be as Paul here and as, as Jesus himself, God himself for us says, yeah, I, I see this, but I see you in my son, and, I, and I'm really thankful for that. You know, in our society, just understand something. We in, a, in our culture is, is an entitled culture. And that entitlement kind of attitude really produces a selfish, uh, critical harshness many times. But going counterculture and understand that you are so privileged brings 
thankfulness. You know, if you have a spirit of thankfulness, that God is, is, is so much inside of you and that God sees you and he's thankful for you, if you see that and you're able to be thankful, then you, you understand the privileged place that you have and you're able to be able to be thankful from running water to this glorious salvation that we have. You know, uh, sometimes I'm standing in the shower and it's just this hot water all over me and I think, God, thank you. I'm so grateful for this, this shower that I'm taking right now. Or I can open up my fridge and, and there's food right there. I don't go out, have to labor and I've got food. So the point is, let's spend a couple of minutes right now because one of the things the scriptures talks about is that the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, being full of thankfulness, is the will of God for you. Paul says in another one of his letters, he says, this is the will of God for you, that you be thankful. So if you have any question about what part of the will of God is for you, be thankful. So I want to practice this. Instead of just being spectators this morning, let's worship the Lord right now by silently thanking him. And just begin to thank God for things, for people, for what you have. Um, And let's just spend that time right now worshiping him. So let's spend a few minutes doing that. Lord, just receive the sacrifice of praise that we give to you, Lord. You're an amazing God, and you have enriched us in so many ways. And thank you for uh, this body. I, I bless you for your incredible love for these saints, Lord, and the fact that you have called them to be yours and that they are your privileged people. Lord, I ask that you change us and give us eyes to see um, what, is, what is so abundant around us that, Lord, our attention would be and see it from your vantage point. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name. And so in Paul's thankfulness, uh, as he's thanking God, and he's not stopping to do that. He doesn't stop. He says, I'm constantly giving thanks, and I'm remembering you in my prayers. Now, just for time's sake, and because we're going through a number of other themes uh, in this last part of the chapter... I'm just going to touch on a couple things about prayer. And, and, and because when we, the subject of prayer comes up, sometimes we get uh, very intimidated and discouraged by that. And either we don't do it or we, we stop quickly in, in, in our prayers. It's a very hit and miss. But I want to encourage you in the fact that Paul, as he does this, he begins to lay out a prayer for the people of God here. 
And this is a great model that the saints over the centuries have done is that they've prayed the word of God back to God. So, for instance, you can take scriptures like this and in praying for other people, you can simply insert the person's name that God would do these things. You're literally praying back the will of God for somebody. Sometimes it's very hard to think, well, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will? What does God want to do in somebody else's life? Pray back his word to him for that person. It's a great encouragement because as you begin to pray back what God's heart is back to God, it allows your heart to be full of what God's mind and purpose is. And so, just as Paul does here, you can do the same. And in fact, um, it encourages you and will open up your heart. Let's say in the morning you get up and you, you just don't have maybe that thankful heart. You, you just feel like, gosh, last night, yesterday was terrible. I'm feeling terrible today. Open up the book of Psalms. And you don't have to sing it, especially for me. I've got a terrible voice, so I don't sing it many times unless I'm in the shower alone. But... What you can do is you open up the book of Psalms and you begin to just thank God from those songs and you begin to just thank him as David thanked him. It will lift your spirit. It will change you. And in fact, it will allow the discipline of prayer to become not so much a, an action that's dependent on your strength and power, but more from the energy of the spirit of God in you to intercede and pray. So I would encourage you to that. And one other encouragement would be here is that um, in giving up, remember asking for, Jesus said this, he said, continue to ask, continue to knock, continue to seek. For those who seek will find, those who ask it will be given to them, and those who knock, a door will be opened. Remember something, you're pressing for something the scripture tells us it's the saint's right to have. The things that are being asked for by Paul and in other places in the scripture are not easily ordered at Amazon.com. Nor are they picked up, you know, idly at a shelf from the store like we're able to go do. But these are literally blessings that are coming from one dimension into another. Literally, reality is breaking into our timeline. And so you pressing in, you're literally uh, bringing one kingdom into another. Remember, when, as, as Jesus was praying, the disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray as they watched him praying. And what does Jesus say? He says, Father, you're in heaven. Holy is your name. Your will be done. Your desires being done here on earth as it's already been done in heaven. So literally, we're bringing heaven to earth as we pray. But it doesn't easily come. It is something that we press in for. Because there is a spiritual battle and there is a warfare, which we'll look at later in Ephesians 6, that talks about this. But remember... This is something that we do press in and fight for. So I would encourage you to continue to ask, continue to knock, continue to seek and look for, and God will reward you. So I really want to encourage you in this because the victory has already been won, which we'll see in a few verses. So let's look at verse 22 and 23 here. I'm sorry. What did I miss? I'm sorry. Let's go back one slide. I, I went too far in my notes. He asks for the Ephesians here in verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom 
and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you can know what is the hope of to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the strength in the saints and his immeasurable power. And so he says, I pray that you be able to have insight, which is the word for wisdom here, and revelation, which means an unveiling. I want you to have this opening up of your mind and an intuitive understanding of the full knowledge of him. Thanks, I went too far in my notes. This full knowledge of him comes through reading his word by experiencing his presence. And I want to give you an illustration of how this works as God wants this to happen in our life. Peter is a great example of this. If you look in Luke chapter 4 and 5, we see a progression that happens in Peter's life here. How many of you are familiar with Peter in the scriptures? Okay, a number of you. Okay. Peter was a fisherman. Peter was a man who was just a grungy, hard-working, blue-collar fisherman. And when Jesus came back and he began to call his disciples, one of those whom he called was Peter. Now, Peter had known about Jesus through his brother, had heard about Jesus, and had heard some stories, was sort of affected by that. But his brother came and, you know, told him about it. And then Jesus one day, you know, called Peter and said, I want you to follow me. Well, he dropped his net and began to do that. But he really didn't know who Jesus was. And I can show you this as in you read Luke 4 and 5. At one point, he's in a synagogue with Jesus. And during just like this, a meeting like this, all of a sudden a demoniac begins to scream and go crazy because of the presence of Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Christ. And at that point, Jesus casts out the demon. I mean, crazy time. It doesn't record much. It doesn't record anything of what Peter thought about this process. Later on that day, they go into Peter's house where his wife and his mother-in-law are. How many of you knew that Peter was married, by the way? Okay, just a few of you. The first pope, amazing, he's married. Well, that's a conundrum, isn't it? But that's another time. So Jesus walks in, sees the mother-in-law, who happens to be probably the cook in the house, and she's sick, and he goes in and he rebukes the fever and tells it to go. She's healed. Now, again, there's nothing in there about what Peter thought about this. I don't know, maybe he didn't like his mother-in-law. Maybe they had issues. But the point is, it didn't really affect him much. Later on that night, his house is invaded by hundreds of people who have heard about this Jesus. And literally, again, demons are driven out of some. Others are healed. It's a madhouse. His house is invaded. Again, we don't read anything about Peter's reaction to that. Again, maybe he likes his house not to be ripped up by hundreds of people in it. I don't know. But again, two days later... He's with Jesus, and and because of the press of the crowd that Jesus is ministering to, he has to step back into a boat to do a message. So Peter's there listening to this incredible message. I wish I could have heard it. Don't know what it was. But again, we don't know what he thinks about. So Jesus is finished, and he turns to Peter, and he says, Look, let's go out into the boat, and let's do some fishing. Peter's, being the blue-collar, understanding fisherman, says, Okay, Jesus, let me give you a little bit of info here. I fished all night. We didn't catch anything. Daytime is not the day to go fishing. It's a worthless exercise. 
Jesus says, and this is my interpretation, italics, humor me, Peter, let's go out and go some fishing. Peter says, all right, fine, I'll humor you. They go out, Jesus says, let the net down on this side. They do, and all of a sudden, the net is teeming with fish, so much so that the net is tearing and breaking, and he has to call in other boats to just take this haul of fish that all of a sudden has happened. We read in this story at this point, Peter falls to his knees and he says, Oh, you get away from me, for I am a sinful man. He just had a revelation. He just had an, a seeing of who this Jesus is, a knowledge that he didn't have by all the things he had seen. But what happened? God came into his life spoke his language, did something that was totally beyond his understanding, and it affected Peter. That is the process of revelation that happens. This is how God unveils himself to us, just like Peter. And at that point, Jesus says to him, well, here's your calling, Peter. I'm not, you're not going to be a fisherman any longer, but you're going to fish for men. And at that point, Peter goes on. Now, the revelation doesn't stop there because at times Peter's got this incredible, wonderful, in-touch-with-God moment where he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And at another point, he's as clueless as, as anybody else. When Jesus says he's going to die, Peter pulls him and says, no, you're not going to die. That's stupid. Don't do that. At the point of the greatest temptation of Jesus, Peter runs and denies him three times. So you can see this, this incredible time. Finally, at the end, after the resurrection, and Peter's out fishing again, Jesus, from the shoreline, remembers. He said, hey, have you caught anything? No, we haven't caught anything. What's the memory going on here? And he hadn't seen Jesus much at this point of the resurrection. And John says, Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter strips off his clothing and jumps in the water and just, just frantically trying to get back to Jesus. And Jesus has the fish cooking on the fire. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. He asked him that three times. And finally, the last time Jesus asked, Peter's like, Lord, you know I love you. Stop asking this. Peter says, you're right. I mean, Jesus says, Peter, you're right. And he brings back Peter into a relationship again, a revelation. So you see, this is what happens in our lives. This process that Paul's talking about, that over time we begin to have a deeper understanding of the fullest knowledge of him. And God takes you through because God speaks your language. God comes into your life. God begins to work powerfully in you, begins to open up an understanding of who he is. And you grow in that knowledge. You begin to have... Um, what is the hope to which he's called you? This invitation that he's given to you. And you begin to have a hope for that. Many of you in this room are going to college. Why are you going to college? Great answer. <laughs> because you have a hope for a future. You have a hope to have a, an education. You have a hope that you're going to get a good job and make a good living. Either you're spending your money or your parents' money in here 
Um, some of you parents are visiting from out of the area. You know your wallets are getting thinner. Your, check, your accounts are getting lower. But you have a hope for your child that they're going to have an education and have a future. That's what's happening here. But in the spiritual sense, that the more you know him, hopelessness is replaced by a sense of hope for your future and the calling to which he's given you and the invitation. And some of you, it's personal and it's powerful and it's a destiny. But each one of you has a calling that God is inviting you into. And at the same time, how rich you are of the glorious inheritance that you have as a saint. The more you know him, you begin to understand how rich he is in you. Do you know that you're of great value to him? That he paid... You remember the, the parable of the, of the uh, pearl of great price? The treasure in the field. That this person finds a treasure, sells all that they have so they can have this treasure or this pearl of great price. That's what God has done for us. He purchased the entire field so that he could find the treasure. He purchased all the oysters in the world so he could have the pearl of great price. And that is you. That's what he says of you. What a wonderful, incredible gift. What an amazing treasure that he has in us. I don't understand that, but the more I have a revelation of the knowledge of him ongoing, I begin to have that privilege and understanding of what a rich inheritance he has in me and my inheritance for the future. Let's go up to the next verse. Thank you. And then, in the full knowledge of this revelation, he says you might understand what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul says in one of his letters, he says, your faith should not rest in just mere human words of wisdom. But your faith has to stand in the power of God. Let me say that again. Your trust needs to rest in the power of God and not just mere words. One aspect of knowing him fully is to understand the immeasurable greatness of his power that he works in us. And that is resident in you by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Christ himself, who did the miracles, who worked powers and wonders that we read about, is the same Christ that dwells inside of you. And is working powerfully in your life and through your life for others. I just want to share a story. Over the years, my wife and I have been privileged to see a lot of great things that God has done in people's lives of healing and of miracles. But I remember one story in particular. And one day I was, I was on a softball team with some other guys, and we were just out of practice, afternoon practice. When all of a sudden we heard this, this screech of a tire, this crunch of metal, and there was a car accident. So we just threw down our gloves, ran across the field, hopped over the fence, to go find out what's going on and maybe to help. And when we got there, um, there was this, this little girl that was lying on the street. Big gash on her head, but wasn't bleeding. No breath in her. The mother is beside herself. She's just screaming and wailing. And the guy who hit her 
the little girl is, is just in a catastonic state and people are coming. There's this mass confusion. And we just looked at each other and we said, what do you want to do? Oh, let's pray for her. So we began to just pray and ask God, God, by your power, would you just come? Make yourself known. Would you just come and bring this girl back to life? And as we began to pray, all of a sudden she, she coughs and blood starts coming out of, her, out of her forehead. And she starts, you know, coughing again. And all of a sudden she wakes up and she's crying for her mother. Wow. That's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Raised this girl to, out of her place of death. I can testify to that because I was there. I saw it. I was a part of it. I testify to you that that is the resonant power that lives inside of you. And the power of his, of his greatness is to be trusted in and believed in. I did this the first service, and I feel constrained to do this even right now again here. If there is anything that you're having an affliction in, of any kind, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual, I'd like you to stand up. And I realize that I don't want to put you on the spot, but I want you to just stand up. We're not going to do anything strange here. We're simply going to wait on the power of the Lord to come and minister to you. We're not even going to lay hands on you because half the time when Jesus um, did miracles and wonders and healings, 50% of the time, he never touched them. Nothing happened. He never had to touch them. But the Lord is here this morning, and he's moving among us, and he is present because it says that when two or three of us gather together, there he is in the midst of us. And so I want to wait on the Lord just to come and heal and minister to you because he's here. The rest of you who are sitting, just, again, don't lay hands on them, please, at this point, but just pray. And just intercede for the presence of God to come. So, Lord, here you are. See these people that are standing in front of you. And, Lord Jesus, would you just come and minister your grace and your power to them, whatever their need is. Would you come and sweep over them, please? Let's just intercede. continue to receive. Some of you may be feeling a warmth uh, over you, or you may be feeling a, a, a weighty heaviness upon you. That's the, that's the power of God. For those of you that are, haven't stood up, that are sitting, but are also afflicted, you may be feeling the same thing. Just receive of God's presence. Receive his, his presence and his healing on you.
when it says in the scriptures that he bore our pains and our sicknesses in his body. The cross is the power of God unto our life and salvation and healing. And he took our pains and our sicknesses and our torments and our prisons to set us free. Lord, I thank you for the work that you're doing here, what you've started here. Lord, I pray that the continuing working of your power might be in those that have stood up and that they might feel your love and your energy and your strengthening and a deliverance, Lord, for them. In Jesus' name we all ask. Amen. See, this naturally happened as we read in the scriptures all the time. And we should be expectant of the same things today. It goes on today all over the world. But in our society, sometimes we are a little uncomfortable with that. We're a little worrisome about what that might look like. I'm just thankful that the power of God is ours in Christ. And that because you're named under his name, he lives inside of you, resident to do that. Let's go on and finish up here. In verse 20 and 21, it says that he raised up Christ by the power over every rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. And that is an amazing story that there are epochs of time and ages that is now and that are going to come that he raised up his own son, Jesus, to be above every name and authority and power and dominion. And those words there, as he says, rule, authority and power and dominion are both the seen powers that were at the time and the time now, but also the unseen power, angelic, demonic authorities and powers. And that by the power of God, he has raised Jesus above that. And, you know, for these Ephesian believers, this is very significant because they had been converted out of a participation and a background of participation in magical practices and arts. In Acts chapter 19, it says that when a power, a work of power of God was occurring, that as that happened, groups of people that repented would bring their books and arts and magical practices and put them in a big pile and burn them. Now remember, there was power. There's power in the demonic realm. And people all around this world, even today, this goes on and is practiced. But God has said to us and, and has exalted Jesus above every name that is named, whether in heaven or in earth, and he has been exalted to that. And Paul wants to assure these brethren and assure us that the Christ's power has no rival. His authority has no rival to that. And there is no conceivable spiritual power out of the dominion of Christ. And the name of Jesus alone in his tile, title has sufficient power. Amen to that, guys. There is no one else and nothing else except him. And that is here. And so he says that as he's raised his son Jesus and that he is above Everything that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come, that he has put all things under his feet 
and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, this is the first time he mentions the word church here to the Ephesian believers. When you hear the word church, it probably envisions a different word than what Paul's using here. Because church is usually of something maybe you've read in the history books about the excesses and abuses of the, quote, the church. Or even today, when you think of church, it's an organizational system that has tons of issues. But Paul, it's very important that we understand how God defines church. The word church is the word assembly, called out assembly, which Paul defines here as being the body where Jesus is the head. Now, this is important. This is really, really, really crucial. How many of you have watched the Olympics and seen these incredible athletes? I mean, amazing how the mind and the body are so in tune to where they're doing these crazy half-pipe maneuvers and these ski maneuvers. And, man, I mean, and, I mean some of those jumps and, 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 and twirls that they're doing and still landing them is amazing to me. Now, my wife loves the dancing with the, you know, the dancing pairs and the throws. And so for her, she appreciates to see that incredible work of, you know, a body and a mind being in the same place. That's a picture of how Christ being the head wants to be to us, the body. Now, think about this. Jesus is the head. It says that you are the visible representation on this earth of the invisible God. I'll say it again. This scripture is telling us that the fullness of him is in his body, his church, of which is over the centuries and now all over the world, adults and children are the visible representation of the invisible God, and you are such. Now, why does he use the body analogy? Besides the analogy I just used, why does he say that? Think about this correctly. Paul says in another, in another letter to the Corinthians, he says, why does the mouth have the right to say to the hand, I have no need of you? Or the eye to say to the foot, you are no use to me. Another way to look at it, and I'm not trying to be gross, but it's going to be gross. Let's say your bowels took the week off. You're in trouble. You're dead. You know, every time that you disconnect yourself from, from his people, we're doing the same thing. You realize that if your hand said, not today, not today, bro and just became this paralyzed thing here, you wouldn't be able to work. I want you to look at each other in this room. Just look at each other. Look at the person behind you. Come on, humor me, please. For those of you that know him, you're going to be spending eternity with that person that you just looked at. First service, I said that there was some whining and complaining over in this section. <laughs> and we had to go back to the scripture on thankfulness and we spent another hour on that. 
do you know that the Spirit of God is in you and that you together are a representation of himself and that you are vitally linked to each other for all eternity? I mean, get that. You cannot take time off from each other. Because together, you will find your greatest destiny, your greatest purpose that God has for you. Apart from that relationship, you won't. Now, I, I'm a hard guy to live with. Ask my wife. But she has decided to stay with me and be committed to me and be in union with me. And out of that union, I could never have become the man that I am today. And I really believe that. In the wider sense of the term here, you will never become all who you're to be and made to be completely unless there's a vital union that's going on with other believers. Because that's how God set it up. Don't blame me. If you've got issue with this, pray that prayer again about God having mercy on the person that you have issues with. (laughs) And be thankful for that person. Be thankful for that person next to you. Because... That is part of who you are. And the power of God through this community of believers. Do you know how much this body has affected in 20 years? Parts of San Luis Obispo, the county, and all over the world. Amazing. Because when Paul wrote this, and I'm going to finish up here. When Paul wrote this to the Ephesian believers, you're talking about a smattering of home churches. And compared to the population of Ephesus pretty ludicrous statement that Paul's making here. How is that possible? This little, small, unseen groups of of believers who love the Lord Jesus, and yet over the centuries, the power of God and the testimony of his body has been continuous through persecution, through suffering, even into today, has been a testimony as to the power of God. And so I just encourage you right now as a, As the worship team comes back up, we're going to worship for a little bit more. That you carry the name of Jesus. You literally carry his name in you and with you. And with that comes the riches and the power and the inheritance that is yours. And that God has in you. And so I would encourage you this morning that you would press in to know all that God has in you and for you. And as we worship, we'll uh, finish up in a minute. So let's worship and give ourselves to the Lord.